is Father Anthony. And if you're wondering why I'm sitting down, Susan kind of let the cat out of the bag right there. I was going to go with, now that I am a mature and more distinguished priest, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, you know what I mean? Life as a 40-year-old priest is different. Now you have to respect me. So I was going to go with the whole sitting down in light of that. But Susan let the cat out of the bag. Yes, I did cross the finish line of a half marathon yesterday. But to say that I ran a half marathon would be a little bit of a stretch. Okay. Um, and I was going to show pictures today. But uh, the pictures in reality didn't match the picture in my head. <laughs> because in my head, when I crossed the finish line, it was like a Usain Bolt kind of a moment. <laughs> And the reality was more of like a, more like a Garfield tumbling across kind of thing. So we'll just go with the picture in my head, which was very glorious, okay, as you can imagine. And also uh, Lula Day and Mozzie. Mozzie's not here, but they ran it as well. And they're still in good shape, but they're, they're youngins, okay. They're, where's Mozzie? There she's right there, okay. So yeah, so that was yesterday. Give me a break. I'm on a chair here today. It's okay. Welcome to the well here at STSA. And welcome back is what I want to say. This is my favorite Sunday of the year. You know what this Sunday is? The Sunday after the summer. <laughs> it's my favorite Sunday because as much as when we were kids, we loved summer. As parents, we hate summer. <laughs> right, we can't wait to get those little guys back to school, back to structure. I don't know when the last time my kids brushed my teeth, their brush their teeth during summer was. So I'm just happy that everyone is back in school. And more importantly, I'm everyone, everyone is back in church. Because I know in the summertime, everyone travels. So it's just good to have the whole family back together. we got a lot of fun stuff planned here at the well over the coming weeks. And I want to just give you like a sneak preview before I get to today's message. Starting next week, as you heard, next week is Friends and Family Day. So we're starting a three-week series called Crowns of Glory. And it's all about lessons from an Orthodox wedding ceremony. For those who have attended an Orthodox wedding ceremony, you'll notice it's, it's significantly different than what you're used to seeing on Full House and on the Brady Bunch on TV. And there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of ritual. And there's a lot that we can learn because so many people out there today are against marriage, have the wrong idea of marriage, but they're fighting against something which isn't real. And when we understand what marriage is supposed to look like as given to us by the church and its ancient rituals, we'll see how we should be approaching it and what we should be doing if we're in it. So those who are married, you're going to have a great time as we talk about what marriage is supposed to look like. Those who are single and approaching marriage, you're going to have a great time as well as you see what you're supposed to be aiming for, what you're supposed to be looking for, and what you're supposed to be building towards. So it's really a great series for all of us, anyone, whether you're married or not married. And it's a great time, Friends and Family Day, because you may know people at your work and your neighborhood, and anyone who's married is most likely struggling in that marriage. Okay, in some way, shape, or form, not in a bad way, but just life is struggle. Okay, so it's a great way to say, hey, come on by my church and come check out this priest, all right, and he's going to come talk to us and share to us about the Orthodox wedding ceremony. So that'll be starting next week for three weeks. The series after that, I'm even more excited about, and it's a series that's been in my mind for probably six months right now, and I can't wait for it. Every fall, we do like a big major life group campaign. Life groups are when we study something on Sundays here together, and then we meet together in homes throughout the week to kind of discuss it and practice and put it into practice. So we're going to be doing a series during that time. We'll be starting the second week of October through Thanksgiving. It's going to be talking about how there may be one way to God, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one way, but there are many ways to the one way. And you and I may not all approach 
Jesus in the same way. We're going to see how all of us, you know how there's like, there's, there's temperaments, personality temperaments. And some people are extroverted. Some people are introverted. Some people are uh, judging. Some people are sensing. There's different kinds of temperaments. Well, I believe there's also spiritual temperaments. And some people connect with God in different ways than everyone else. So what we're going to talk about is nine different ways that you may connect with God. And we're going to try, we're going to challenge ourselves to see what way do I naturally connect with God and maybe challenge ourselves to go outside of our natural temperament and see that there may be many ways to the one way to God. So I'm super excited about that and I hope you are as well. But before we get to either of those, we have a special message here for today because today is a special day. And it's a special day in our country. You don't have to go very far as you walked into George Mason. You saw all the flags at half-mast. So it reminds you, in case you forgot, today is the 15-year anniversary of one of the most horrible days in the history of our country, September 11th. But today is not just the commemoration of September 11th, 2001. Today is also another special event in the church. And for those of you who did not know, today is New Year's. Happy New Year's to you. Now, for those of you just showing up here in Orthodox Church for the first time, you say, it's September. So you say, these people are like nine months behind New Year's. Well, first of all, I would say we're not nine months behind. We're maybe three months ahead. Okay, that's number one. And second of all, what I will say is the best thing, the best thing about being part of the Coptic Orthodox Church is we get two of everything. Okay, everyone else gets one New Year's. We get two. We get in September and January. Oh, the rest of the world only has one Christmas. We got two. We got December. And then once the holiday blues have worn off, we got it in January again. We're celebrating Christmas. Everyone loves Thanksgiving, right? Well, you, if, you, if you outside the church, you get Thanksgiving once a year. Did you know in the church, every Sunday is Thanksgiving? Because anytime we celebrate the Eucharist, it's the, it's the sacrament of Thanksgiving. So we here in this church, we like to party. We like to celebrate. People think that we're miserable. That's not the church. The people may be miserable, but the church is a joyous <laughs> celebration. Nonstop, because we like to celebrate around here. And today is the first day of the Coptic year. Now, let me explain a little bit what that means and then get into our message here for today. Our Coptic calendar is based on the ancient Egyptian calendar, which goes back to the time of pharaohs, and it can be dated back to roughly the 3rd century BC. There was a calendar that was in use. The calendar is similar to ours, okay, but some slight differences. They have, or I'm sorry, we have, I should say, the Coptic calendar, 12 months of 30 days and one month of five days or six every four years in leap year. Okay, so it's not like variable months. Every month is 30 days, all right? And there's one month at the end of leap year. And you see the names of them up on the screen. You probably can't read them because it's small. But the names of the months, if you study ancient Egyptian history, you'll notice are named after ancient Egyptian gods. Like today is the first day of the month of Tut, as it's been called now, but the original name is Thu'ut. And Thu'ut was an ancient Egyptian god of wisdom and science. Soon we'll hit the month of Hathor. And Hathor is the ancient goddess of love and of beauty. So this calendar, which is in use now, we still use it today, has been in use for many, 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 many centuries. And it was the way the ancient Egyptians, the pharaohs, all those guys calculated the years. But that calendar, that system took on special meaning in roughly the third century AD. So a calendar that had been used for many centuries because we are of the mindset of it ain't broke, don't fix it, all right? A calendar that had been used for many centuries took on special meaning in the third century AD 
at the beginning of an event. And you can tell the name beginning of that event by looking at the actual date. Today's date is September 11, 2016 AD. But in the Coptic calendar, it's Toot 1, the first of Toot, 1733 AM. Now I want to talk about this AM for a minute right here. Because AM, you look at it and say, is that a typo? Should it be AD? No, it's not supposed to be AD. It's AM. First, what does AD mean? Do y'all know what AD stands for? Okay, very good. Most people, what we grew up thinking, it was BC was before Christ and AD was after death. That's what we were told. Okay, but that's not true. Was I the only one told that? I'm the only one told that. Okay, so the rest of you are smarter than me. Okay, we were told it was before Christ and after death, and I never understood because that leaves a 33-year gap. Okay, before him and after him, but what was during those 33 years? So that's not what it is at all, okay? It is a Latin, someone said it out there. Say it again, I don't know if I pronounce it right. Anno Domini, okay? Which literally means the year of the Lord. Now understand me right here. It wasn't that when Jesus was born, they said, someone happened, something important happened, let's start at zero now. That's not what happened. The, church, the world is operating with a calendar. And they had a way of calculating days and months and years and whatever it may be, and they were operating. And then it wasn't until 600 years later that they came around and said, this event that happened, the birth of Christ, was the most important event that ever happened, and it should be note, noted and signified in the way we calculate dates. So they retroactively said, on this day, let's reset the calendar to zero at this time when we calculated Jesus' birth. Now, what we later know, we know that now, is that Jesus actually wasn't born in zero. They missed by a few years. And most historians will tell you that Jesus was most likely born in the year 3 or 4 BC. Okay? Because they miscalculated about a few years. But hey, give them credit for trying. I mean, that, that's like a great effort. They figured out when Jesus was born. So in the 6th century, they said, actually, whatever year it was now, forget about that. Let's go back and say that's zero. So that would put us in the year roughly 580-something, maybe. The Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, were always well-advanced civilization, okay? And some of you laughed today, okay? But the ancient Egyptians were always well-advanced as far as civilization, and they figured out this idea about resetting the calendar much earlier. And if you go back now 300 years, the ancient Egyptians said, we're going to reset our calendar too. But they didn't do it on the birth of Christ, okay? The world... My point here is to tell you the world hadn't yet gone to the birth of Christ as the most important event that we reset the calendars to. In fact, at this time, they weren't even celebrating Christmas most probably. They were celebrating Christ's crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, but probably not Christmas. The church came up with a different way of marking it. And they said the marker, sorry, not the church, the ancient civilization, which the church is a part. The marker will not be the birth of Christ. It will be the beginning of the reign of a man named Diocletian as ruler of the Roman Empire. And the church said, that's day zero. Now you say to yourself, who is this Diocletian guy, and why would we signify him in the calendar? He must have been someone important. He was someone important, but not for all the right reasons. Diocletian was one of the worst emperors in the history of the Roman Empire, especially if you're a Christian. Diocletian persecuted Christians and killed Christians all over the world, but especially in Egypt, there was a time when historians say that at a time, not today, but at a time, they could, have they could have counted all the martyrs of the entire world and it wouldn't have been as much as had taken place in Egypt under Diocletian at a specific time. And it wasn't just the amount of martyrs that were killed under Diocletian in Egypt. It was the way they were killed. 
You may have heard some of these stories about people being stretched to death. Okay, they had a stretching machine where they would just pull and pull and pull and pull with these wheels that would pull and pull and pull so people would literally be torn apart. They would pour hot boiling wax. Okay, they would boil the wax to the point of un uh, boiling and they would pour it on and they'd be burned. Their flesh would be burned. This would be in front of a live studio audience. All right? They would comb them over with these metal combs and rip the skin off them and rip the or it's horrible stuff. So you say to yourself, this horrible person, Diocletian, the church remembered him, and the church said we should mark history. Actually, again, it wasn't the church. It was the civilization. Well, let me tell you a story about this Diocletian guy. They say that one time, Diocletian, in one of his fits of rage, when the Alexandrians were revolting against him, and they said, we're going to fight against this guy. But of course, they couldn't really because he was the head of the Roman Empire. They revolted, and Diocletian vowed. Some of his, some of his uh, advisors said, have mercy on them. Go easy on them. They'll be loyal subjects. He vowed. I will not stop killing the Egyptians till the blood of the Egyptians reaches the knee of my horse. Till the blood in the street reaches the knee of my horse. That's what Diocletian said. And then history has it, legend has it, or I don't know, we don't know if it's true, but we always say it as true. Is that one day Diocletian was riding through Alexandria and his horse stumbled and fell. And his knee hit the ground and got bloody. Because had, there was blood in the street, so his knee got bloody. And the Egyptians saw that as deliverance from God because it was shortly thereafter that Diocletian was overthrown and peace came. So the Egyptians did two things. Okay, the Egyptians at this time were half Christian and half pagan Okay, because there were some pagans and some Christians that were living right there. So the Egyptians at the time saw this as deliverance either from God or the gods. So they did two things. Because First thing they did is they built a statue in the middle of Alexandria to the horse of Diocletian. Because whether the Egyptians were pagans or Christians, they were all funny guys. Okay? And they did this with a sense of sarcasm as that was who delivered them, the horse, as he tripped. The second thing they did is they reset the calendar. And they started their new calendar based on the beginning of Diocletian's reign, which if you corresponded to what we now know as A.D. and B.C., would be the year 284 A.D. That's why the year 1733 is what corresponds to 2016 in A.D., because they're 284 years uh, after the birth of Christ. And we still use this calendar today. Now, what I want to talk about now is why do we use this calendar? Is the point that we remember the martyrs who died, and we honor the martyrs who died, and we just say, good for them because they died, and we should honor them, with all due respect to the martyrs. Now, I don't say this in any disrespectful way. If all we do is remembering people who died and died for the faith, then we are pathetic people then we have a dead faith and a dead ritual. That's all that it is. It's just memory. The church is trying to tell us more than just remember people who died, remember people who suffered. The church is trying to tell us a mindset that we need to have today in 2016. And I think that mindset is best summarized by 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, which says this. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Excuse me. Not only to me, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The issue, the issue isn't some people died for the faith. That has nothing to do with our life here today other than just something we clap for and we say, great for them. If that's all it is, we're pathetic. We live in a dead faith. The church is trying to teach us a mindset that we all need to have. And that is a mindset of a soldier, the mindset of a fighter. 
The mindset of someone who struggles and strives and fights and doesn't expect that this life is going to be a bed of roses. We know from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he told it over and over and over and over and over again. In the world, you will have many tribulations. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He said that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they persecute you as well. We were taught that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. We were taught over and over and over that in this world, this is not the prize. This is the fight. This is not the finish line. This is the middle of the race. And we need to have that mentality. And the church has kept this calendar because the church knows two things about us. Church knows two things about us. Church knows that number one, that life will be difficult, life will be a struggle, and we need to fight. The second thing church knows about us is that human nature tends towards complacency. And if you are not reminded constantly that you are in a fight, you will become complacent. You will settle in and you will become passive when it comes to your spiritual life, as many of our spiritual lives are evidence of as we speak right now. So we have been given this calendar to remind us. We always remember that we are a church of martyrs. We are a church of fighters. We're a church of people who said, that's the prize that I want. And I'm going to fight to get it. Since, again, since Susan brought up the whole race thing, that's the finish line where I'm trying to get to. And I'm not expecting that someone's going to come by and pick me up and cart me to the finish line. I'm expecting that I'm going to run and I'm going to sweat and I'm going to hurt and I'm going to be sore and I'm going to sit on a chair in front of the people on the next day after. But I'm going to fight my way to get to the end there because there's a great prize to those who have that struggling mentality. One of the words, there's a word which is said in our Coptic hymnology which captures this idea. It's one of the best words if you understand what it means to capture this mindset. And it is a word in Coptic language, the ancient language of Egypt, which we still maintain in the church. And the word is athlophoros. Say that with me. Say athlophoros. Athlophoros. Athlophoros is a great word which we use to describe the martyrs. And we oftentimes say, the great martyr, the great Athlophoros martyr, St. George. The great Athlophoros martyr, St. Mina. Athlophoros is translated two ways. And you look in the text, the Coptic text, the English translation of the Coptic text, and sometimes you will see it translated as struggling, and sometimes you'll see it translated as victorious. And sometimes in the same hymn, you will see it translated one verse struggling and one verse uh, victorious. Let me ask you a question. How can one word mean struggling and victorious at the same time? Isn't struggling the opposite of victory? Isn't struggle and victory opposite of one another? Or maybe they're the same. A soldier fighting in a war, is it possible for him to be both struggling and victorious at the same time? Someone in their marriage, is it possible for them to be both struggling and victorious at the same time? Someone who's running a half marathon. Is it possible for him to both be struggling and victorious at the same time? I would, in fact, argue the opposite. I would, in fact, argue that it is impossible to be victorious without struggling. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? It is impossible to win a war without struggle. It is impossible to have a successful marriage without struggle. It is impossible to run a race without struggle. And I don't see the two as opposite. I see the two as exactly the same. And that's why. We and our church, we remember the martyrs and we put icons of martyrs all around the church and we paint them in gold, symbolizing the glory of the martyrs. But here's the thing about the martyrs. We say gold and we say victory. I'll tell you a little secret about the martyrs. They all died. They were all killed. So how can someone be killed 
and be glorious at the same time? That's the whole point. Maybe victory is not the opposite of struggle. Maybe the victory is in the struggle. Maybe that's the mindset we need to have right here as members of the Christian faith. Why is it that in every aspect of life, no one expects to be a doctor easily, no one expects to be a lawyer easily, no one expects to be successful in any aspect of life being passive? Why is it that spiritually we expect the opposite? Why is it that spiritually we expect the kingdom of God to bite us on the nose and carry us up to the kingdom of heaven on a bed of roses? And we expect to la, 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 and sing kumbaya the whole way, and we don't want to fight. And as soon as it becomes hard, we say, this is hard. It's not supposed to be hard. And as soon as things become difficult, we give up on them. If you were to ask Christ, let's agree, Jesus knew a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Would y'all agree with that statement? He knew a thing or two about it. If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, tell us about the path to the kingdom. Do you think he'd talk more about a bed of roses? Do you think he would talk about a stroll through the park? We think of heaven, we think of peace and calm and clouds and, and harps. And we think of that. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. Let me bring you a few verses Jesus said about the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve, 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Say, hey, wait a minute. Violence and kingdom? No, no, the kingdom of heaven is peace. Okay, that's an outlier. Maybe that's a typo in the gospel. Let's see any other verses. Matthew 10, 32, one of the most misinterpreted verses, passages from scripture is this one. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, before I tell you what this means, I'll tell you what this does not mean. This is one of those verses that's been interpreted throughout history, the whole idea of a holy war, right? You heard about this stuff in history, right? People misinterpret this and say that, that we are commanded to bring Christianity by force. That's not Christianity. Okay, there's no such thing as a holy war. We just... Where we were spent a week in, in seminary not too long ago, and one professor made a point to say nonstop, overwhelmingly, there's no such thing as holy war. Christianity and war are not the same. There's no such thing as expand the kingdom by force, expand the kingdom by coercion. There's no such thing. That's a misinterpretation of this verse. What this verse is talking about is spiritual warfare. It's saying that I did not come to bring peace and make you best friends of everyone in this world. I came to tell you the path to righteousness and that may make you an enemy with people in your own family or people in this world because the path to the kingdom is not a stroll through the park. One more verse here that Jesus says in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Many of us today want the victory of Christ without the struggle of the martyrs. And I say to you, that is not possible. If you are trying to find the victory of Christ outside of the struggle of the martyrs, you are spinning your wheels. You will never find it because there is no victory without struggle. Why is there no victory without struggle? The reason why is because I hope you know this, and I'm sure many of you know, but sometimes we need a reminder, is that we live in a world which has seen and unseen. We always say that in the creed. We recite that. We believe in one God, God the Father, Pantocrator, the maker of all things seen and unseen. So I hope that you believe me that right now in this room, there's many things that you can see, but many things that you cannot see. I hope you realize in the world in which you live, there are many things which you can see with your eyes and many more things which exist which you cannot see. Because we live in a world where there is a war going on and just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not taking place. St. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6.12. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't be fooled by the flesh and blood that you see. 
But we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Did you know that before you leave the church here today, you will be greeted by unseen beings. You'll be greeted by angels, angels of God, who will help you on your way. And they'll try to do nice things. They'll try to send you a nice message. A nice, they'll protect you. And they do nice things. And did you know that God is always working in your life in unseen ways? A little text message here. Someone call you at just the right time here. God is working. God is protecting. But did you also know that you have an enemy who's also working? And as much as God is working, the devil is also working. He's got plenty of minions and demons at his disposal. And they're going to meet you as soon as you walk out that door, even before you walk out that door. And they're going to send a friend to say just the wrong word at just the wrong time and set you off and kaboom you. They're going to send your boss tomorrow morning to make sure that whatever piece you gathered here today from church, that he sucks it all life out of you before you even got to lunch. If you got children, you know exactly what I mean by the devil is always working. My question to you, in this warfare, what is your strategy? What's your plan? Please don't tell me. Please don't tell me. I know this cannot be true because y'all are intelligent people. You're smarter than me. Please don't tell me that you're in a war and you got no plan. Please don't tell me that there's bullets flying and you walk around listening to music on your MP3 player. Please don't tell me that there are grenades and there's, 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 there's the landmines all around you and you just walk around with your head in the sky. There's no way anyone would be that foolish to walk around when there's a lion roaring to devour you and you go and try to pet him and think there's no danger right here. Because that is the opposite strategy that Jesus told us to have. Jesus taught his disciples, who by the way, all the disciples of Christ, all except one, were martyrs. They were martyred for their faith because Jesus taught them that after I go, people are going to try to fight you. You fight the good fight. You stand up for truth. You stand up for truth in your own life. You stand up for truth in the lives of others. When sin comes, man, you fight to, to the bloodshed against sin. You strive uh, to the, your last breath for what's right and what's true, and you stand up for it. Because the kingdom of God is not a stroll in the park. The kingdom of God is for the violent. The violent take it by force. Not violent in a physical way, but in a, a non-passive way. That we need to be fighters like the martyrs were and not passive participants. Can you imagine a soldier in a, in a war who goes to his boss and says, I'm tired now. This is hard. I'm hungry. Can I have a break? In war, break equals death. Break equals death. So if you ain't fighting, you're dying. Now, let me shift gears slightly and talk practically. What does that mean? Because that was kind of a somber message for us right here. What does that mean, fight? Okay. I said that's a somber message. Several people, including my wife, went, yes, it's a somber message. <laughs> what do you want me to do, Father Anthony? I live in a war. What do you want me to do? What does that mean? Okay, so now there's a warfare. Now there's martyrs. Am I go out there and say, I believe in Jesus. Come kill me. Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'll give you something to do that's very practical. Two things. They're both the same thing, but they're said in a slightly different way. We are called to be light and bring light. We are called to be light and bring light. Because our warfare is a war 
at its simplest level, the simplest way to explain it, it's a war between light and dark. Not in a Superman, Batman kind of a way. Not in a Power Rangers or superpower, not in a, not in a cartoony way. In a, we serve a God, and that God is defined by the scripture as light. And we are called children of light. Just a few verses to explain. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Meaning let us fight. For those who sleep, sleep at night. But those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see this imagery. God is light. We are children of light. There's darkness, which is fighting against the light. One more. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, but whatever makes manifest is light. And I could bring you some more verses, but I think that's enough. You got the imagery that I'm trying to convey. This is a very natural imagery to us. You don't need to know the Bible to know that you look around at the world and it's very easy to characterize the world as darkness. There's darkness all around us everywhere we look. And especially nowadays, it seems like it's more than ever. There's darkness when someone hates another person for no reason other than the color of their skin. There's darkness when someone kills an innocent child because of a mistake they made and a, and a lack of responsibility for their decision. And there's even more darkness when not only we make that mistake, but we fight for others to make the same mistake as well. There's darkness when the acts of terrorism that we see all around, and like I said, on this day, 15 years ago, probably the greatest darkness that we ever saw in one single day. And if you think back to that time for those who were old enough, it was a dark, dark, dark day. and We didn't know where to go. And that's in addition, of course, that's kind of the macro level darkness. That's in addition to the micro level in our own lives, the addictions, the pornography that's rampant, the anger, the temper, the violence. There's a lot of darkness today. But a wise person said, I tried to look it up online, see who it's originally quoted to, many different sources attributed to different people who originally said this sentence. So I'll take credit for it myself. That when there's darkness, you have two choices. You can either curse. Y'all not heard of this before? You never, okay, then I, so I one time said, okay, <laughs> as, or better, as I always say, okay, you can either curse the darkness or you can light a candle. Okay? You can either curse the darkness or light a candle. We got a lot of darkness in the world today, and if the message that you leave here saying is, the world is scary, the world is dark, there's a war, everyone hide in the bunkers, you're missing the message that Christ came to deliver. Because the message is the exact opposite. That the world is dark, and our job as children of light, soldiers of light, is to go and light, light candles. Can one candle remove all the darkness in the world? No. But you know what one candle can do? and light the area right in front of it. And you know what another candle can do? Light the area right in front of that. And another candle, and another candle, and another candle, and another candle. And I always say that's what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be where we all come together with our little candles. That's why when you're baptized, by the way, okay, baptism, you carry a candle. Okay? 
And that's supposed to be back in the old day. That was your candle. Now it's like a church candle, whatever it may be. That's your candle. And that's when you are in Christ, your light begins to shine. And you carry that candle. People used to hold their baptism candle for the rest of their life. They would keep their candle. And when you get married, okay, and in a wedding, how many candles are there? There's two candles. There's my candle and your candle. And at a funeral, what do we do? We blow out the candle. Not saying that the person, okay, but I'm saying your light in this world, your time is done. Your tour of duty is over. We are light. We are to bring light everywhere we go. One candle cannot solve all the darkness, but one soldier cannot win a war by himself. But each soldier can do his job. And my job as a soldier, secure this area. And I will do my best to secure this area, and you will secure your area, you will secure your area, and if everyone secures their area, then we will win this war. But I can only do what's right in front of me right now, and that needs to be our mentality. That we will be light, and we will bring light. How? Examples. Well, I wanted to come up with a practical example of what does it mean to bring light to my world. Not, again, not bring light to the world, because I cannot bring light to the world, but I can bring light to my world. And I thought of two kinds of examples that I could, I could share with you. I thought of big things that sometimes you hear about, like the Mother Teresa's of the world, and the big things that people do to really change the world. And those are great examples. But then I said, those aren't really practical. So maybe what I should do is go with something more, like maybe someone that we all know, who's doing something small that we can all emulate. So I was kind of between the big things and kind of like the small things, someone we know. Then I came up with a better solution. What if I found someone that we all know who's doing a big thing? Enter Levi Risk. For those of you who don't know, Levi Risk, hopefully those who are members of the church know, this is Levi and his lovely wife Mandy and their beautiful daughter Irene. Levi's a member of this church family for probably the past year, two years, something like that. Levi is about to run across America. That's not a typo. That's run across America. That's not fly across America. That's not drive across America. That's not take a bike across America. That means Levi, a medical doctor, is leaving his job for a few months, taking leave of absence. He flew to California last week, and I think today is today, right? It's today. He begins running from Los Angeles, California. And he will continue to run until he gets to Washington, D.C. Don't adjust your sets at home, ladies and gentlemen. What I said is what I meant. If that's not crazy enough, because that is crazy enough, if that's not crazy enough, he is taking, he took his wife and his daughter, and they're going to be with him in an RV that's going to come across with them. And by the way, his wife just happens to be pregnant as well. Levi, over the course of the next four months, is going to run 3,000 miles, roughly 40 miles a day. And just to put that into perspective, I ran 13 miles yesterday, and I'm ready to collapse. <laughs> and I declared myself on vacation for the next three months. And if you see what I ate, what I did, and I, I didn't move, okay? And I got more plans to not move today after church as well. Levi is going to run those 13 miles, take a drink of water, and go do that again two more times, every single day, five days a week, for the next, from now till Christmas. Why would he do that? A, he's got some screws loose in his head. B, he's got a lot of free time on his hands. C, he just saw Forrest Gump and he got really motivated. Or D, he wants to bring light to the world. I'll let Levi say 
watch a short little video clip right here and let Levi tell you. Levi's beginning today. You're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. Okay, you're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. So we'll talk more about the, the mobile health clinic and the RV and how that's going to be. So we're going to deal with all that in the coming weeks. You hear a lot about, but today I just want to kind of focus on the mindset, okay, and the act that Levi is doing, this brave act, this heroic act, this act of light. As a doctor, he could curse the fact that there are people without health care. He could, and that's what many people choose to do. But instead, he chose to light a candle and say, what can I do? We need to have this, this mentality as well, okay? We need to be soldiers of light. And we need to see that, as Levi is showing us here, that you may not need to necessarily be a preacher to bring light to others. You may not necessarily need to be a Mother Teresa to bring light to others. There are many ways that we can bring light to this world. Preaching is good. Inviting people to friends and family day is good. Joining Love Your City in a few weeks is good. There are many ways. Running across America is not a bad idea as well. There are many ways. All right, and even we got, we got these bracelets over here. Okay, you can see these nice bracelets. You may be able, uh, we, at the connection table, you can grab one of these bracelets. You think they're $2 suggested donation, but even if you don't got the money, you could take it. You can let other people know. You can go to runforhope.us and you could spread the word about what's going on right here. There are many ways that we can bring light to this world. But the most important thing is we need to have that kind of mentality. Like, that's what I want us to have. And that's what I want us to focus on for this coming year. I want this to be a year that we, as the children of light, we bring light to the world. You know, when he comes back with this thing, there's going to be an RV, a big old RV, in the capital of the United States of America, the center of the free world, that has a big plaster on it, Hope Association and STSA Church. Said another way, said that the care being provided in this place is being brought to you by
children of the light. And that's the message that we need to, to get out there, is that what's happening here is being brought because we are children of light and our job is to spread light across this country. You know, here's the thing about light, especially if you look at it as, as fire. If I have a light, light can only do one of two things. It can either spread or die, but it cannot stay stagnant. Meaning if this room is completely dark and I light a light, that light will reach all the places of this room. The whole room will see it unless I kill the light. If I start a fire right here on the stage and I come back a year from now, I, or not a, a day from now, I don't expect that the fire will have stayed in the nice little confines of where I left it. Either the fire has died or it has burned the whole place down. Light either spreads or light dies. And I'm saying that we, as children of light, we have light inside of us. What are you going to do with that light? If you choose not to spread it, then I tell you it will die. If you choose to keep it to yourself and you choose to say, I don't want anyone to see this light, then I'm telling you the only way to do that is to shut that light off. And that's why I've always believed, I've always believed that the death of any individual person or any church, both of them together, the death of any person spiritually or the death of any church spiritually is when the church becomes inward focused or the person becomes focused on me. When it's about me and it's about when the church is focused on us and make us happy and get us warmer coffee, then that's the end of the church. The church that, that spreads and the church that lives is the one that seeks to shine light outside and same with the individual. The world is a scary place, but we have a great power that is with us. I want to leave you guys with a couple verses right here to kind of to ingrain this in your mind. I always think of this verse that King David said when he fought against Goliath. King David was faced with a great big obstacle, literally, which was Goliath, who was nine feet tall, as the scriptures say. And David said to Goliath, one of the best phrases, this is what we should say to the dark world outside, the evil world outside, we should say this. We should say, 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You come to me with weapons, you come to me with that darkness, well, I tell you, what I carried out of this church on Sunday morning is greater than the weapon that the rest of the world has. Because I come not with a javelin or with a sword or with a spear, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. The darkest room, the darkest room. Find me the darkest, 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 darkest room. The smallest candle can change that. The smallest candle. The room has been dark for a year. It's so dark, it's dark, calls it dark. One candle, change all of that in an instant. The smallest candle is more powerful than the darkest room. And we need to realize that we are those candles. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant we think we are, we need to realize that we are those candles. We are the children of light. We are going to be light, and then we're going to bring light. We're going to come to church on Sunday. We're going to fill ourselves with light. We're going to go outside here, and we're going to shine that light. We get up in the morning, we're going to read our Bible, do our prayer, fill ourselves with light. We're going to go outside in this world, and we're going to shine that light. We're going to shine light in our homes first and foremost. We're going to shine light in our neighborhoods. We're going to make our neighborhoods. And our neighborhood, there should be our house in the neighborhood, should be like a lighthouse. Okay, and people say this neighborhood, ever since these weird people moved in, something different. Okay, light shining in this neighborhood. We're going to be light in our schools. We're going to be light in our offices. We're even going to be light when we go to Starbucks and order a cup of coffee. We're going to be light in the Starbucks. And oh, by the way, speaking of Starbucks, someone sent me this picture just yesterday, and it was so appropriate for our message here today. Has anyone heard of 
Starbucks has started putting things on their coffee called upstanders. You heard of this thing? I never heard of it either. I don't go to Starbucks, but someone just sent me this. I don't know if you can read it or not, but this was the back of the person's coffee cup, and I tried to make it as big as I could. It says This is on the back of a Starbucks card. It says, when you read the headlines, scroll through the social media feed or watch political ads, you could easily mistake America as a nation that is lost. We want to show you a different story of America, a country where ordinary people are making an extraordinary difference by fighting injustice, challenging the status quo, and creating opportunities for others. These are the upstanders in our midst, and they remind us of the choice we have every day to stand by or to stand up. Ordinary people making an extraordinary difference. Y'all ever heard that phrase before? They ripped us off on that one. They ripped that one from us, okay? We always talk about our church, an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. So they, if Starbucks can do it, how about us, the children of the light? How about us? Ordinary people do extraordinary things. Levi Risk, a year ago, was an ordinary person who nobody knew him. Even we in this church, many people didn't know him. Today, he's a person making an extra, doing something extraordinary just as an ordinary person. And I'm telling you that you as an ordinary person can make an extraordinary difference as well. Last verse, this is what you leave with when you think of this. St. Paul says, Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless, that is, be light, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Love this image. You know when you look up at the stars at night, you just see darkness, and then you see stars, light there, light there. This is what we need our Heavenly Father to look down. And he looks down on this earth, and he may see a lot of darkness, and a lot of people who don't care about him, a lot of people who try and intentionally to kill him and to wipe him out of society, and dark, dark, dark. But then he sees a little light right there. And he sees a light right there. And there's a bright shining light right there. And that's what we need. We need to shine as lights. Because a wise man once said, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. And that's how we need to approach our faith. Just because we do nothing wrong doesn't mean we do anything right. We need to shine as lights in this dark world. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be children of light, and not leaving us in darkness, for calling us to experience your marvelous and beautiful light, Pray, Lord, that you would help us to shine that light. That you would help us to make a difference in this world, not because we want to be anything, but because you, Lord, your kingdom is worthy of it. And you are worthy of it. We pray, Lord, I pray for every single person who's here, the, the candles that are standing in front of you, that you would let them shine bright in this world. We pray for Levi during these coming four months and for Mandy and Irene. Pray that you would really be with them and bless them and strengthen them in, in superhuman ways to do this great mission, not for his own glory, for the glory of any person or anyone, but for the glory only of your name. Let everyone who sees him to glorify you, and to know that you are the reason behind everything that he's doing. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.